0: you're muted go you you
1: you are live you are ready to go guys we're here
0: so for those of you who are living under a rock or luckily do not have access to tv last saturday may 6 2023 princess diana's ex-husband and his little side chick were crowned king and queen of the united kingdom as well as king and queen of 13 other nations so now we have to talk about look they have the big coronation, they're king, they're queen, they have their crowns, but why? What is the point of any of this and how do we go forward from here? So to talk about this, I'll be moderating tonight. My name is Brayden. I'm coming to you from Wisconsin.
1: Oh, and I am here tonight with Brayden because as you can see, and I am not a general Zer, um, but this is something that's interesting to me. So I'm Jen, and then I invited, who are you?
2: I am Mallory. Uh, I am a friend of Gen Z. I am a friend of generational change and- um, You're Gen uh, Z adjacent. I, well, uh, <laughs> that's a huge compliment to me. Thank you. I like that. Flattering me. <laughs> you flatter me too much, darling. Um, but um, I'm here, I have uh, some experience living in England um, and uh, I have a uh, huge um, Anglo uh, ethnic background. Uh, so, uh, really shocking looking at you, you seem more tribal. (laughs) Well, okay. um, So I I know that you,
1: I know that this is a subject that, that you find interesting.
2: Yes. Terribly.
1: Okay, cool. So start off, Brayden, talk about the coronation.
0: And before any of you ask going forward what our qualifications are, I will have you know that at least two of us watch The Crown. So we're very qualified.
2: <laughs> I do so, too. I, I actually love it so much that I, we I, all I it. word for word the whole the whole <laughs> series all the way through.
0: So you're dealing with the experts.
2: You're dealing with experts.
0: So early Saturday morning, the coronation of King Charles III of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Mm -hmm. Ireland took place. Um, I actually stayed up all night because I had to watch it live for one of my courses, which was horrible because the ceremony was extremely boring. And I'm assuming that if you live in the UK and you do not have a lot of money, because right now the United Kingdom is experiencing a cost of living crisis, it must have been absolutely infuriating for you to watch Charles got up in his robes with his gold jewelry. He had who knows how many people supporting him, golden swords, just every symbol of wealth and opulence. And I don't know about you, but if, let's say, the president of the United States were sworn into office that way, I would be very pissed off because, look, your king and your president, your leaders are supposed to be representative of you. So this just is not acceptable for a country going through such a cost of living crisis right now. But this followed the death of his mother, Queen Elizabeth II, who I'm sure every single person on earth knows. She passed away last year at the age of 95. So if there are some good genetics in that family. Charles will probably be king for a while going on. Of course, in the coronation, there was all sorts of family drama with Harry and Meghan, Princess Anne going off against Charles's plans for the monarchy. Sarah Ferguson not being invited at all. But today we want to talk more about the political, social, and economic sides of the coronation. Particularly, we can dive into there were some anti-monarchy protests occurring side by side with the coronation. And there were arrests at these protests that many protesters deemed to be unjustified but before I want go any further, I want to get Jen and Mallory's opinions. Just what did you think of the coronation? Okay. Whether it's the way it went down or what you even think of it in the first place.
1: Yeah, I actually didn't watch it. And this is because my concept of this is like, I hate the amount of waste on all of this. Like, to me, it's very offensive. But I feel like that about are things here too, by the way. Like, I feel that way about our inaugural balls and all. Like, I, I think all of that is just so, like, elitist and wasteful. So I'm not a fan. And what I what I am f- curious about is that I noticed that Prince Edward is there. And I'm wondering if any of the protests outside had anything to do with the fact that, you know, he was buddy-buddy with Epstein and that has not gone unnoticed.
0: Oh, do you mean Andrew?
1: Oh, sorry.
0: Edward's sorry. like the only good brother.
1: Okay, I'm sorry. He's a low key one. So, Andrew's not in this picture then? No. So no. that's why. Okay, never because mind. I was so curious. I'm like, why would he be in that picture? Okay, never mind.
0: He was essentially fired as what's called a working member of the royal family. So, Prince Harry and Meghan, they step back from being working members. That basically means that you're still obviously a member of the family, but you don't carry out official duties. And because of that, you don't get the official benefits that go along with it, like a security detail from the United Kingdom's government or an official salary or pension. And because of that, Andrew technically wasn't even supposed to show up to the coronation in his military uniform, but he showed up in it anyway. So oh, oh, he
1: was there.
0: Yeah. He had to sit in, I think, like 10th row. Something far away like that, which, you know, if that's the worst thing that happens to you after everything you did. Yeah. Must be nice.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, um, where the non-working members of the royal family were seated was very near to the actual throne um, and the, uh, the canopy area. Uh, I, the, I forgot what they call it. It's not the canopy, but it's the thing that conceals the monarch as they're being anointed. Uh, and I was thinking about people making such a fuss over, uh, where Andrew was seated, where Harry was seated. And I was thinking there's people who would absolutely kill to be seated that close to the monarch. So I think, I think a lot of the coronation was much ado about nothing. And I have to tell you, I too, uh, intended to stay up all night or to watch the entire thing, I was underwhelmed by it. Uh, And I was underwhelmed by it because I, as someone who really loves England, I really love the United Kingdom. uh, And in a very distinct sense, I'm supportive of the continuity that the monarchs, the monarchy seems to provide. Um, But this is with a huge asterisk, please do not, think that I'm you know I'm not judgmental and I I, I really wasn't overwhelmed with the emotion that I thought that I would be Uh, and I thought that that was actually a good thing because um, because this is a bad time to uh, to be self-congratulatory and grandiose Um, and I thought that they could have gone a lot harder on the grandiosity if they would have chosen to so so actually I fell asleep. Um and I, I was, it was that
1: good, huh? That well, I,
2: I came to during the crowning, but I missed uh I missed Zadok the priest, uh, which was that was the moment that I really wanted to be awake for when he was uh, anointed. Um, but I missed that. And then I also was kind of like watching on my phone with uh with Camilla being um crowned. Um and that was a very significant moment and I'm sure that we'll go into why that was, but Um, but I did have a chance to watch it and those were my thoughts and those continue to be my thoughts today about a week after Uh, or almost a week after the coronation
1: because I am curious about that and I didn't watch it But I do obviously see that somehow, uh, Camilla has been bestowed status that she was not be that nobody I don't think from my generation would have ever Mm -hmm. wanted her to be bestowed um for all petty and very childish reasons, but um uh, what is exactly her title now? Like is what what is her s- status?
0: She's the queen consort. Queen consort. But a but lot of she, times she likes to forget the consort part. Right. I but think that's that also that, like, is I that mean, choice? Like
2: Charles that wants her to not be considered to be anything less than a full uh, she's not a queen regnant because she's not queen by blood, she's queen by marriage. Um, and so the the spouse of the monarch regnant uh is 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 typically the consort. Um, but but for purposes of her being accepted, I do think that there is a concerted effort to not add the word consort behind her name, just like they typically would not have done with other uh spouses of the monarch in the past as well. So I
1: hear you. I just don't know that I'm ever referring to the booger picker as queen. I'm just not feeling it. Sorry. I don't Are you familiar with that Jaden, by the way, with Camilla?
0: I mean, yeah, my okay. British friends have a nickname for her. They call her the Rottweiler.
1: Why that? That's interesting.
0: Okay. Hear me out though. Camilla as Camilla, as she is, she honestly is a genius she played the long game, and she ended up as queen of the United Kingdom. Like, girl knew what she was doing this whole time. You think that? I think so. I mean, there was a huge. She would have done
1: it the easy. She would have rather done it the easy way. Like, I, well, I, think that I don't think this is how she wanted to wanted it to go down yeah. the, from the beginning,
2: right? Like that. Honestly, honestly, right? honestly, guys, I, I'm not quite sure that I. I do not necessarily think that Camilla set out to be queen. Um, and I'm, and, and, and I'm, I'm, this is my neutral standpoint. Um, this is not me standing for Camilla. Uh, I understand uh, her faults and her shortcomings and things that I have judged um, regarding her. I think that she would, if she had her way, she would have just lived an anonymous life. It's oh you no, know, that- I
1: don't think she wanted to be queen. I think she just wanted Charles, and I think she would have rather had it in the original way. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, I don't think she cared one way or the Charles, other. But is. Charles,
2: Charles, one hundred percent wanted her to be his queen, oh, uh, yeah. and that because of his station in life, that was going to be the way that it was going to be, and and he was determined to have that happen from the time basically that he moved towards marrying her. I mean, that was always his intention. Yeah. real. And, and now he, he has his way and he has her as queen, and, and that's the way that it is. And now, of course, you know, that's a gilded cage because they're in the fishbowl uh, and they're going to be under mi- a, micros- uh, a microscopic scrutiny for the rest of their lives.
1: Well, yeah. And so, Braden, this is a good segue into the next piece. Like, so obviously, not everybody is so receptive about about the monarchy. So yeah, let's get into that.
0: Yeah, and actually before we get into that, because I'm assuming most of our viewers are American, I want to get into just briefly the powers of the king and queen because I feel like for us as Americans, we see them as just being another group of celebrities like the British version of the Kardashians. But the truth is that they do hold some power, So mostly it's a name only. What happens is the British monarch serves as the head of state. So what that means is that they're technically in charge of Britain's foreign relations. Also, the monarch, be it the king or the queen, they have to formally assign every single bill that parliament approves. Additionally, they technically appoint each new prime minister and they serve as commander in chief of the British armed forces, although... The common theme is that in all of this, it's in name only because at this point, they can't express their own opinions. So none of this is really happening because they're just diehard fans of certain policies. It's just because they're doing whatever basically parliament tells them to. But there has been very strong opposition to them for obvious reasons. And this culminated in protest against the coronation of Charles. So many groups, especially the Republican anti-monarchy groups, were planning protests against the coronation. Some were protesting Prince Andrew being there, not so much the monarchy itself, but most of them were to abolish it. And there have been some very controversial actions taken by the London police. So many of these anti-monarchy protesters, for starters, groups were receiving letters from the London City Administration and London police basically saying, Like, hey, don't try anything at the monarchy or at the coronation tomorrow. Otherwise, we will take action. And at least 10 protesters were detained under suspicious reasons. So the London police said that basically their reason for arresting these protesters is because some of them were carrying, I'm going to put out a trigger warning, rape whistles. And they were charging that these protesters were basically somehow planning on using rape whistles to create mass chaos, which... Not really sure how that could happen. So that's their official justification. But some of these protesters were held for over 16 hours on end before being released. And basically nobody has any idea what's going on. Um, The largest leaders in parliament, so the leaders of parliamentary committees, they have started opening official investigations into what actually happened with these arrests. And if there was any sort of coordinated effort to stamp down any opposition to the coronation.
1: Yeah, this is, this is not surprising. And I would think that this has been brewing for as many years as our movement on the left brews here. Like we, we don't really ever get this side of the news when we read about things overseas, but I've always been kind of keenly aware that like the people that are my counterparts would be the anti-monarchy people over in the UK. And that this is something that I would imagine is an ongoing thing. And it just is not, like you said, it's not the priority. I know that you have some stats, Mallory, what are you, I mean, you when you were there, did you see a lot of, or any protesting at any of these events?
2: No, I'll be honest. Um, I lived in Exeter, which is in Devon in the Southwestern part of the country of of England. I don't know if, how deep we need to go into what is no. in the Kingdom. No, um, but it's in the southwestern part uh, of the nation, uh, and um, and and honestly, I really did not um, feel uh, any royal influence uh, uh, in the lives of those around me. Uh, I don't. People weren't really speaking about. The Royals. I've heard a lot more about the Royals being in the United States than I ever did in the United Kingdom. Um, but I, and from what I understand from the media that I follow that are commenting on the Royals, like there's this one particular channel on, uh, YouTube who I'm a huge fan of, uh, is River. Uh, their name is River and they pretty much provide daily broadcasts about things, particularly relating to Meghan and Harry. Um, But um, but other than like the London and and certain country quarters where there's wealth uh, concentrated, uh, I don't really think that most people are talking very much about the royal family. I don't think it affects their lives. Uh, I think that they're more focused on the issues going on with governance, with inflation in the United Kingdom, uh, with the price of energy uh, and the fallout of leaving the European Union.
0: So I want to ask, when you were living in Devon, whenever, because you said the monarchy didn't play really any major role in anyone's lives and it wasn't really a topic of conversation, if the royals ever did come up, I'm assuming at this time it would have been Queen Elizabeth, was there a favorable reaction to her or was it mostly just an impartial, indifferent, no real strong opinions there? (laughs)
2: I don't think many people had a strong opinion either way. I think that they just accepted that, okay, the royal family is where they are. Their headquarters, their home, they're based in London and the surrounding, the home, the home counties. So they call the counties that are like London and the home counties. They're based there. Uh, and of course, in their kind of respective like country homes and places like Gloucestershire, where a high grove is, that's where Charles's um, country home is. I really don't think that I just did not hear much about it, you know, and I was thinking that I would and I did not. Yeah. I mean, I know like
1: growing up that for the most part, especially when we're talking about when older generations more so, they love their royal family Mm -hmm. and they loved the queen. They love the queen. And I, I don't think that, I've always think there's, Charles has gotten a lot of backlash for a lot of reasons over many, many years. I mean, we've seen it in, in you know, drama in The Crown, but like we know, I know from reality that he has not always been painted very positively. And so their perception of him is quite noticeably different. So it, it, it's like, I think even people that weren't as, Necessarily outspoken and being anti-monarchy, but because of matter of they just loved their queen. And now maybe they're not going to have that sort of loyalty that they had with her just in general. That's what I'm wondering what will gradually happen because he by no means is loved or would be loved like she was. There's no possibility
0: You know what's interesting, though, is that so Prince Charles, as monarch, really can't express his opinions on virtually any policy issues, but for the few that he has, he actually is kind of in the progressive camp. So Mm -hmm. the two issues that he primarily involves himself with are food quality, food safety, I guess, and the state of cities. So as far as food goes, he's a big proponent of going back to natural, getting chemicals and gmos out of food and then in terms of cities he's a huge fan of walkable cities and he's done some work for affordable housing so i will say if we're looking for a reason to like him there are those two and also he did basically informally fired prince andrew from being a working member of the royal family during the whole epstein fallout so maybe not the worst Policy wise.
1: Yeah, I, you know what? I have like a pretty neutral perspective on him. Like I see things that I thought were like douchey and I've seen things that I thought were good, just like any person. Like I don't, I don't think of, I I think he, I think that they're well-intended. I actually do believe that the royal family sees themselves as public servants and that Mm -hmm. it is their duty to, to serve. And I do think that, and I think it's always admirable how they all serve in the military. I think that that was one thing I respected immensely about Queen Elizabeth. You know, she didn't have to be in the military, and yet she chose to be a mechanic during World War II. Like, that's a pretty badass thing. Um, for somebody to do who doesn't need to serve. And we don't see that kind of feeling of service here. And so I do respect that. And I have always seen that about Charles as well, even though he does seem extremely uptight to me. That's well, my may,
2: point. may I just say something about Charles's generation versus his mother's. Whenever Elizabeth was coming up, she was not, uh, she was separated. And I, the Royals were isolated. Uh, Much more than they were uh, from the time of the baby boomer generation, Charles and Andrew Edward, like they were under such uh, a different type of scrutiny and a much more intensified media scrutiny because the media circus really didn't ramp up like it um, to any level uh, with Elizabeth and Margaret. Uh, I know I understand what happened with Margaret. I understand Peter Townsend and all of that. But it was it was to another level with video and paparazzi and all of this and um, television shows. Remember, television was just in its infancy whenever Elizabeth was coronated at 25. Yeah. So um, so essentially, you know, I think that we need to factor in, um, you know, that Charles was a human being of a certain status in in a certain station in life, which he could not control. And all of his all of his actions his decisions have been, um, have been played out in, in global media. Uh, and I'm not defending him. I'm not happy about the way that he uh, married Diana and treated her. I'm not happy about that at all. Please do not mistake uh, me. Just I'm not excusing. I'm just saying that I think that there's a, a bit of a reason why um, we have so much more of an opinion about him. Uh, but, and that's because by the time that Elizabeth was queen, uh, she was in her mid twenties, and uh, and so basically, she had really kind of gotten over a lot of her youth. And remember, like she was raised to be queen regnant. Uh, uh, all of that, all of that happened in a period where, whenever, like I said before, she was in a bubble, um, and and the and and the messaging regarding the royals could be much more tightly controlled. Uh, than it was from 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s to today. Oh, you
1: know, they lost all control. And, And that I always thought was her biggest beef was the queen's beef with Diana. You know, it's like Diana was sort of like, they didn't have such a foil, you know, until she came along. And then by contrast, she was like, she was like this light and lovely, light and lovely person. And they all came off looking like the mean royal family and, I, I think that they resented that, and I know
2: the Queen had issues with her about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think another thing uh, too. I I could honestly go on for like the rest of the time about how I suspect that the media's influence, and particularly the tabloid media in the United Kingdom, are wagging the dog. Oh yeah. Uh, when it comes to the royal family, and it is to an inexplicable degree. I think that there is something very nefarious um that Harry was touching upon and I have, let me ask a question guys have you read spare his new no. Mark-
0: no I haven't actually read the book but I've been following all of the updates about it because I'm just going to be real put my biases out there I love Megan Markle
2: <laughs> I do too but I also oh, know good. that she I also I but I also am not going to stand for her either like um but yeah let me let me just say this like uh harry in his memoir did touch uh, he didn't he did more than touch i mean he really uh made it quite clear about the royal rota which is essentially like a revolving kind of um it's like a turn taking system where the different tabloids get to like take different stories about each like the members of the royal family and basically, they're just making money off of uh, off of the royals, and it makes me wonder: like, is it, it have the royals permitted this because the tabloid media have things on them which are absolutely devastating, like something that is unimaginably horrible? I don't know what it could be, um, but they have permitted this this cycle to happen, and essentially, Meghan got caught up in this, and I don't think that she fully realized. Like the the toxicity of the royal rota, um, I would definitely. Uh, I, I think I could go on about that for days, and I think that that's the thing is the elephant in the room that we're not talking about when it comes to 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 Meghan and Harry.
1: They are not being very liked though. I will say that they are no, definitely no. coming off very poorly. They need better. They need better PR people. That's what I think.
0: Well, as somebody going into PR and studying that right now, I just want to say. If you ever need a good publicist, hit me up.
1: You need to reach out to them and and, and <laughs> offer your and offer your your skills. They need some help because I don't know who they're who they have doing it for them, but they're not coming off ever looking. Oh, really good.
0: you know who they have doing it for them, and this will make sense. One of Hillary Clinton's old media advisors.
1: Oh, or the
0: Emanuel boy.
2: Wait, who is it? Do you know who is? Uh, is the Hollywood Emmanuel boy.
1: Oh, I'm trying to think of who. So there's like a trio
2: about. of them. There's like a bioethicist, then there's the government guy, and then there's the the Hollywood guy.
1: But essentially, and, we have a Clintonite, is what we're saying.
2: Essentially, no. And before that, it was Sunshine Sachs, um, and Megan was not happy with the way that things were going with that, and so she switched over to William Morris in the L.A., LA.
1: Yeah, okay. Uh, I don't think going with anything that Hillary does is necessarily the answer to public relations. It's just the thought.
2: But
0: I want to bring this back to uh, our conversation about each member's approval rating, specifically the approval rating of the monarchy as a whole. So, according to the most recent statistics that I found, the majority of the British public. So members of the United Kingdom from all four countries, England, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland, they are overall opposed to the continuity of the monarchy. According to this poll, 55% of British people said that they wish they could see the monarchy abolished within their lifetime. But in case you're wondering, so if the majority support this, why is nothing happening? It's because of those people, only 3% see it as a top priority. For everyone else, there are just much bigger issues to worry about, bigger fish to fry right now.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I get that. But I think one, two things. One, I think that there is this inextricable link for for people there to of what a lot of their problems are, especially when we're talking about financial and economic issues that I could see that being the blame being allocated to one of their largest expenses, which, you know, being the royal family. And so I, I get, I do think that it's connected to a lot of what their issues are. And then the other thing is what I said before that I don't know how long that the 3% will be the number if people don't have any sort of love for the person sitting
2: in the castle. So are, what, are you? To, what, what exactly are you referring to when you're saying 3%?
1: of the people that were interviewed, even though 55% of them said they'd like to see the monarchy abolished in their lifetime, of those, only 3% of them said it was a top priority.
2: So so I wanna, I, the the most recent uh, economic statistic or figure that I've heard was is that each Britain uh, is taxed about a pound or a little bit more, a little bit less than a pound uh, per year to support um, the the royal family. Uh, it is not a major expense of the United Kingdom. Um, it, I, but it looks like it's a major expense because of the way that it is used as um, uh, basically a draw. Uh, it draw the royal family draws in people from around the world because yeah. of the concept of royalty, because of keeping up Buckingham Palace. Right, it's a turret. the turret guard guards and right. the hats and the changing of the guard and all of this.
0: Can you remember in the
1: Crown? Wait, wait, wait. Do you remember one time in the Crown where it basically showed, especially during the time of when the economy was in a disarray, that they were facing so many people, basically saying that no, we this is this has to stop. We
2: are starving. Sable yeah. Miner says uh, she said that she was living in England back in the '80s uh, when her mom was transferred there. Uh, and that she recalled that most of the people there, uh, I, the, the comment is not on the screen, but I think that you said that it was, uh, that most of the people who were living there back then thought it was time to end the monarchy. And the eighties were a very strange time for the monarchy because whenever people became aware of how poorly Diana was after she entered the Royal family, they were very critical. And that only worsened in the 1990s. I mean, yeah, Queen Elizabeth had her Annas Harabilis. Huh. Uh, what were you, uh, you
1: going to say before brayden i'm sorry i was
0: just going to say on the point of the monarchy bringing in money in terms of especially tourist revenue yeah. according to the official calculations the monarchy does bring in more money than it takes out now to who that's the question but each royal wedding so megan and harry william and kate It's estimated that every single one of those brings, give or take, about a million U.S. dollars, particularly to the city of London. So to places like hotels, um, tour companies, just basically anything that has to do with tourism or travel or hospitality in general.
1: I, I mean, I get that. I get that. And that's that's often an argument made for things that seem sort of like lavish and superfluous is that well they actually bring money at like the super bowl and all of that stuff when you have that but if it actually does and that money is in benefit to the you know the general populace or the voting populace in those areas then yay them but if it's anything like what happens here that's not what happens. That's not where that money goes. So it's not, and also I would wonder what the statistics are regarding who, not just who benefits financially, but who benefits employment wise from a lot of this. I don't, I don't know how, who it's really helping.
2: I mean, the way that they treat their employees is they, I understand, from what I understand, people who are employed by the royal family, like in Buckingham Palace, for example, are very poorly paid. Yeah. So you have a lot of people who are working to support the royal system, uh, but they're not well paid. I mean, uh, and then you also have people who are member members of the aristocracy who take certain positions for certain periods of time, and they're not well paid either, but however they are, you know, from families that are worth hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. That's a hundreds. service.
1: That's a service that, that is the people that are working there in their home that are like your housekeeper people, your secretaries, all those people, those people need to be being paid. I agree. A a decent wage. The people that are living there don't actually need to be paid because they don't have any expenses. They have very few. So it's like, why would we, that makes no sense to me. That's, that's just. Yeah, this is what would make me want to, like, put up, take up an abolish monarchy sign and go stand in front of Buckingham Palace.
0: One point that I saw, though, from a fan of the monarchy, because I was scrolling through the comments section of one TikTok video. So there was an anti-monarchy post. A fan replied to that, well, the royal family brings in X amount of money per year. And someone replied to that, and they had a really good comment, which is that the French monarchy has been abolished for hundreds of years We know how that ended, but the French monarchy still does bring in money. So people go, they visit Versailles and the other (laughs) palaces, they visit museums on the former royal family there. So even if there isn't a royal family in the United Kingdom, that's not to necessarily say that all of this income will stop.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, look, Elvis is dead and his estate is still making a fortune. You know, I mean, it's, it's very possible. But when we look at places like France and other places that have royal families, it's not as pronounced. The empire is infinitely smaller uh, and it's definitely not as well known. Like most people wouldn't know who like the most recent, you know, monarch in France is. You don't think of that. You just think, oh, yeah, back in Louis the whatever and we'll go see Versailles. And isn't that fun? It's like a history thing. But they're not continuing to make money on, let's say, the propaganda and that that whole it is so tabloid juicy that there is like this whole industry about it. And there are so many people that suckle at that teeth. And that is Especially something media and
2: newspapers.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And, so and, then, and, they, and they
2: and they and they manufacture, I believe, a lot of the drama. Uh, yeah, what, would happen?
1: what would happen if there were no monarchy? what would the british press look like
2: i have no idea i think it would be a lot a, a lot cleaner uh because i have to tell you i am absolutely dis- there 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 it's like a there's a quality disparity in the united kingdom between media you know you've got high end media that like the well i don't want to i don't want to come across as a lefty but here we are i'm on a yeah chill. well um
0: You're one of us now. Yeah,
2: you're on here. Well, yeah. I mean, and I always have been, but there's, you know, there's, there's the guardian and things like that. And then there's also the tabloids. And honestly, I don't know why anybody would be buying the tabloids, but they are making money. I mean, and of course they're making money by on, you know, through online clicks as well. That's how they're making it these days. And that is, that is who's benefiting the most from the, just kind of keeping the fire stoked. Right. Uh, with the royal and family. so then trace the money trail upward. Yeah, and the, and the thing that I think is the worst thing about uh, the tabloid media and the mediaization of the royal family is that the royal family cannot, and the monarch cannot do what they could be doing best, which is providing a sense of continuity as head of state um, because they're mired down in the drama all the time. Um, and, and I wanted to, I just wanted to make sure that I did get a chance to touch upon what I do think, you know, is the biggest benefit of a monarchy, a constitutional monarchy. And that is having someone who, and this is theoretical. Okay. This is purely theoretical. Right. You're the theory of constitutional monarchy is what we're talking the, about. The theory of constitutional monarchy is that you have someone who has, uh, an ancestral duty to to look after the country, to look after the people and to make sure that their legacy is not one of, uh, of, of misfortune and, uh, fought and a backsliding of the country. Um, but look at, look how, look how, how could Charles possibly, uh, do that whenever you've got basically the Royal Rota on him all the time. And of course now we're, you know, we're in a situation where, um, and we have been for some time where, Uh, there's basically tape put over the monarch's uh, mouth and they can't really advocate for things, even if they're good things, Uh, they have to stay silent. This is why I think that it is beneficial for Prince William to be able to stand up and to say and do things that his father can no longer do and say.
1: Yeah.
0: But speaking of constitutional monarchy, the British monarchy goes far beyond just the island of Great Britain and Northern Ireland It extends over to 14 other countries who are known as the Commonwealth realms. And these are countries that obviously are not part of the United Kingdom, but maintain the British monarch as their monarch and head of state. So examples of this are the Bahamas, Belize, Tuvalu and Canada, as well as Australia and New Zealand. The big three are Australia, New Zealand and Canada. But there is a huge anti-monarchy movement growing in all these countries, especially in the Caribbean Commonwealth realms. So this came to head in late 2021 when Barbados formally abolished their monarchy and got rid of, at the time, Queen Elizabeth as their head of state and replaced her with a president. Now, this movement is not just ending. It did not start in Barbados. It's not ending in Barbados. Shortly after this vote, Prince William and Princess Kate actually took a trip to Jamaica and they held an audience with the Prime Minister of Jamaica, who flat out told them to their face that Jamaica would be the next to follow. Um, Following the death of Queen Elizabeth, the leaders of Jamaica, the Bahamas, and Belize, they have all indicated that their countries will soon hold referendums on abolishing the monarchy. Now in each of these countries, abolishing the monarchy is hugely successful, so the referendum would easily pass. There's also a talk in major countries like Australia and New Zealand of abolishing their monarchy so that an Australian can formally head Australia and a Kiwi, that's what they call people from New Zealand, can formally head New Zealand. But really the big area this is happening in, as I said before, is the Caribbean. And if you look at all the countries around the world who are talking about this, um, King Charles is currently the king of 15 countries, including the United Kingdom. We're looking at within the next decade, at least half of those could be gone.
2: I think that's very interesting to point out that there is a number of Commonwealth countries that the citizens of those countries require uh, a visa to enter the United Kingdom. So they are subjects of the monarch, yet they require a visa to enter the UK. Huh.
1: So that's a, that's, you know, kind of, well, is, it almost reminds me of us with like, you know, Puerto Rico, not that they need a special thing to come in, but that they're part of us, but they don't really get a
2: say so. But yeah. it's even worse. I mean, it's, it's even worse. I mean, like I'm just looking at a list of uh, different countries. There's like, for example, Nigeria, Ghana, and please don't hold me to like this as fact, but I was researching this a few months ago and I can tell you, I I'm, I'm almost a hundred percent certain that Jamaicans require a visa to enter the United Kingdom nowadays. That not that was not necessarily the case 60 or 70 years ago when you had something called the Windrush generation. The Windrush generation was uh, a massive influx post-World War II of people from different parts of the former empire, which is now called the Commonwealth. And they came in to provide uh, low wage labor. Uh, and that did not go extremely well for, uh, those people. And, and I don't know a whole lot about the fine details of the Windrush generation, but it's a major issue in the United Kingdom these days. Um, but like India, uh, is a member of the, um, the Commonwealth and I am sure that they require a visa to enter the UK. So it's a bit, it's very unfair. It's a very unfair relationship. Something I noticed in this article that I wanted to just mention
1: is it says, Local protesters in Belize and Jamaica called for a formal apology by the royals for their family's role in the enslavement and brutalization of Africans and demanded reparations.
0: And so you've got two countries
1: demanding reparations.
0: Yes. Yeah, it's growing very big, especially in Jamaica. That's kind of the new hotbed of all of the anti-monarchy efforts, but also the reparation movement.
1: You know, it's it's a valid point. So I didn't realize this. Like, so there are fourteen countries outside of the UK where the Queen is head of state, and then there's the countries that are members of the Commonwealth, but not not Commonwealth realm. So they don't have the Queen as their monarch; they elect their own head of state. Yeah. But it, yeah. So there's a lot of countries at this point that that is their head of state that could could potentially there's fourteen that could potentially decide, yeah, we don't wanna have your monarch as our head of state anymore.
2: But I will say that the, that the monarch does have certain powers uh, within the Commonwealth realms. Like for example, one time um, uh, in St. Kitts and Nevis, uh, there was um, uh, the queen, uh, because of a horrible mismanagement by the prime minister, uh, dismissed the prime minister and called for new elections. Um, so in certain instances, there is uh, an opportunity for the monarch to step in and to, like, kind of help to, like, get order um, whenever it's requested. The, the monarch basically, uh, it, it, their presence in those Commonwealth realms is their representative is someone called a governor general. Uh, and that's, their, that's the person who is kind of interfacing with the country on behalf of the monarch.
1: Yeah, I just found something that's kind of cool here in this that I thought I should put back up because I thought that was really interesting. Here's where it is. This is what it says here. So the Commonwealth realm, these are the Caribbean countries where Britain's queen is head of state are these. And then the Caribbean countries that are part of it, but do not have the queen as head of state. Mm. And I'm wondering and I'm looking at these and I've been to I'm trying to think, well, I've been to the Bahamas. And I've also been to, and I've never been to any of the ones that are in the Republic. So I can't say as to like any noticeable differences. Oh, and I've been to St. Lucia. So that's basically my extent. I
0: that's was my- just reading something, um, not really for any reason, just I happened to be reading it back in the day when Reagan did his whole invasion of Granada, which side note, totally illegal. That was horrible. But the queen was furious because she technically is the monarch of Granada. And Reagan never called her before he invaded, never gave her any warning. Because in his mind, he's thinking, well, this is purely ceremonial. She's the queen of the United Kingdom. So why would she care about Granada? But here on halfway across the world, she was pissed off. And she's like, that's my country. You need to get my permission before you do anything like this.
1: Yeah. You know, and it'll it will be interesting to see what Charles does in terms of, you know, putting his neck out and making stands on different things. And if he will take anything, I mean, the way I look at it is he's waited his whole lifetime for this job. Who knows how long he'll actually get to have this job? Like he should just do whatever he can do. Like, I I would hope that there's no there's not he's got nothing to lose at this point. Mm
2: Well, you know the thing w- about the whole Grenada invasion was, uh, and the reason that we stepped in was because we were fervently anti-communist. They were uh, ostensibly the government that had um, at, what that was in control in Grenada was communist, and of course we could devote a whole other stream to what is communism, what is socialism, and how is this warped and you know misunderstood. But, but the Monroe Doctrine was what was. Um, Carried out uh, whenever we uh, when we intervene in Grenada, which is, of course, the United States is kind of uh, self uh, uh, imposition on the Western hemisphere that um, that we have primacy and we're going to do what we're going to do. So I that's but I'm glad that we uh, that we were able to discuss the issue with Grenada. Yes, for sure.
1: I remember that, but not and it's interesting because I remember it, but I don't remember it in any relation to the monarchy. Like, I just remember the whole thing with Grenada, but I don't remember anything coming up about about the queen at the time.
2: Well, she would have been very silent about it. Her, her approach yeah, her would have been
0: silent. It was more so like behind closed doors with the ambassadors and civil servants and things like that. As soon as the press was gone, she'd be ranting about, well, he shouldn't have done this because I'm the queen of that country and there was no approval on my end.
1: So what are, what are your thoughts, Brayden, on the whole concept of monarchy in general? And the, and we're not really, the, the concept to me of monarchy is when we're talking about like this idea that blue bloods exist, that there are certain people by definition of birth are just better and more entitled um, than other people, and that there is this sort of like natural hierarchy. And that's what I think of when I think of, of monarchy. I mean, like, what are your thoughts about that at your age? Like, how, what do you think about places like that?
0: I mean, I've always been completely opposed to the idea of monarchy, more so for selfish reasons. I wasn't born into a royal family, so I'm bitter about that. But as I was telling Jen before the show began, so I'm an international relations minor and I was in a course this semester, which just ended, where basically the whole course you're working on one giant research project. So I did mine on the anti-monarchy efforts in the Commonwealth realms. That's actually why I wanted to do this show. And seeing so many perspectives, it actually did, I'm still anti-monarchy at the end of the day, but it did open me up because a lot of people are saying, look, we know there are obvious drawbacks to monarchy, but there are some benefits. And that's the same for any government, like democracy, obviously so many pros, but yeah, there are a few drawbacks to democracy. Um, With monarchy, it's not democratic. You basically are just entrusting that one person is superior to everyone else. But at the same time, there is a sense of stability that's provided. And also it brings in tourism dollars. And the type of monarchy that we've been talking about is hereditary monarchy, where it's all by bloodline, where you trust that in the old British tradition, it's that one family has been anointed by God to lead. But what other states do is they have elective monarchies. So, for example, in Malaysia, they're... The whole country of Malaysia is made up of several tribes split among the two Malaysian mainlands, I guess you could say. And what they do is every single time a monarch dies, they do an election among all of the different chiefs of all of the different tribes, and they choose one of them who will go on to be the formal king of Malaysia. And that's the same thing that they do in a lot of Pacific countries like Tonga, for example. They get all the tribes together to an election and elect one of the chiefs to be the head king. So, I mean, hypothetically, the United Kingdom could do some type of an elective monarchy if people get mad. But at the same time, in Europe, everything with monarchy has been purely hereditary. So I think for them, that would just be a whole new system, even though it's still monarchy. At the end of the day, that would be too much for a transition for them to make.
1: I just thought I had to pull up this picture of the the king of um, Malaysia, and and I don't. I think this is I think this is the current person. Malaysia's King Sultan Abdullah Sultan Ahmad Shah. So one thing I'm noticing, okay, so clearly there's this very intense link between monarchy and religion, and so that uh, to me is not exactly uh, a selling point. That that makes it even less appealing to
2: me.
0: Yeah, it's interesting so, that you guys
2: brought up Tonga and Malaysia, which are both members of the Commonwealth and were former colonies of the United Kingdom.
1: That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So they now they just have their own monarchies. That's just what they, they, they that was the path of what they saw in front. That was what was demonstrated. Right. That was what was probably set up for them.
0: But right? also because that's the way that they had been doing it even before the British came along. So it was Correct. monarchy before the British, monarchy during the British. Although both of those follow a constitutional role where the monarch is mostly symbolic,
1: what countries are still around where it isn't that way? Where it's where, not where, symbolic, where we have actual reigning, you know, monarchies and is that I mean I know they exist. I know there's several in the Middle East. I know that there are yeah, definitely yeah, I mean I know and I know that there is monarch I mean there are Asian places too that still have that that have monarchy by birth, but I don't know how many of them have where they're monarch rulers.
2: Oh, gosh. I mean, now we're starting to talk about the difference between a constitutional monarchy and like an absolute monarchy. Yeah,
1: like are there, I mean, what what is out there now? I mean, are there, I would think like in pretty non-civil human rights places that that would be a thing?
2: So the absolutist monarchies are, well, they're going to be in the Middle East. That's gonna be uh, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, uh, Qatar, uh, Oman, Bahrain, Kuwait. Um, if I've the missed UAE. any, the UAE. Thank you so much. Um, uh, and and I'm thinking like and uh, those are just they, they don't have votes. Do they even vote for their monarchs? They do. Oh. They they do have some electoral kind of legislative body, <laughs> but in, in in the they have what a, what we would no, more or less call an absolutist monarchy in those countries. Yeah.
0: The United Arab Emirates is another kind of sort of elective monarchy because, so the United Arab Emirates is not just one country. It's multiple different ones called the different emirates that have united together. And each one has their own monarchy who handles local stuff. And then they choose one of their leaders to be um, the formal monarch of the whole country. So like Dubai has its own monarch. The capital Abu Dhabi has its own, and they choose one of them.
2: They call them the they call them the Emirs. Uh, in uh, in at least I've been to Qatar before. Uh, I've never been anywhere else in the in the Middle East, but those are yeah, they're called the Emirs.
1: So if you go to this is interesting, Wikipedia has list of current monarchies, and it actually goes down with each type of monarchy and lists all the different countries that are in that. And uh, the there it's funny because. There is obviously, they break it down in different groups, but then you've got the Muslim monarchies, you've got East and Southeast Asian constitutional monarchies, other sovereign, mon- other sovereign monarchies, non-sovereign monarchies, which is, that's interesting, that's monarchies of Malaysia. Emirates of the UAE and kingdoms of Uganda are examples of non-sovereign monarchies.
0: And then that Wikipedia page doesn't even cover. There are what are called non-territorial monarchs. So that's of monarchs, basically of organizations. So now some religions and sects of religions have it ruled by monarch. So the branch of Tibetan Buddhism, I think I pronounced that right, that is formally headed by the Dalai Lama, um, there are some branches of Islam that are always headed by the same family. And whoever heads that family is known as the king and is referred to as his or her highness.
1: Yeah, absolute monarchs remain in. And I knew Brunei was one of them. And I know, right. that, I, yeah, I knew that Brunei, Cambodia, or I'm and sorry. I believe the Pope
2: is also a monarch, uh, a non-territorial monarch, I, I believe. Well, that's not going to be on this list.
1: Oh yeah. It says the Pope is the absolute monarch of Vatican city by virtue of his position. So that's, so he's an absolute, no, he's under a sovereign monarch. He's a sovereign monarch. Cause that is, you know, the Vatican is a sovereign entity.
2: Yes. This is have very, you been, have you been there before? Have you been, I have, been there? Yes, I have too.
1: I have. Um, I haven't been to any of the Muslim monarchies though. I have not been to any of those places. Um, I, I, you know, I never really was that interested in going to any of them, except for now I'm seeing all these ads from Jason Momoa being like the, the ambassador to this amazing looking water park somewhere over in Abu Dhabi. And so now I'm kind of interested in going over to see, cause it's Jason Momoa in a water park. So that just seemed kind of fun to me.
0: Maybe he's declaring himself King, just of the water park. He That's might, well, he's the, the ambassador. ambassador.
1: He's their ambassador and he's doing all these, ads for this big new fancy Abu Dhabi resort water park and he's their global ambassador and it just shows him doing all the water slides and stuff and you know him topless is a a beautiful thing so you know I'm supportive that's all I'm saying. Mallory
2: thoughts? (laughs) Uh, About Jason Momoa?
1: Well, anything, but yeah, sure, Jason Momoa. Uh
2: I'm more of a fan of uh, the Pita uh, Tofua, I forget. His, like, I, I don't exactly know his last name, but it's the Samoan or the Tongan athlete. The Tongan athlete uh, who was at the Olympics, you know. Oh, that more, one. Yeah, I'm, I'm more preferential to. Okay, I can he's appreciate that. He's well, my cup of tea, Dotting. Okay, um, so so where are we, I mean. What, what did she say to me?
1: Yeah, exactly. So what 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 else do we want to say about this, Brayden? What else do we, what else are we got on the menu?
0: I think that, I mean, really at the end of the day, we as Americans don't like it when foreigners come and meddle in our affairs. So the British monarchy at the end of the day, it is a decision for the British people and for the people of the Commonwealth realms. But I mean, if you're a member of the Commonwealth realms, get rid of the monarchy. It's not serving you at all. Someone from a different state who's not one of you, who's never lived among you, formally leading you. And let's say you are the Bahamas. Nobody's coming to you for the monarchy. Nobody's going like, oh my God, I can't wait to take that vacation to the Bahamas because I want to see where Charles is king. No, that's not helping you. The only place that the monarchy does theoretically help is the United Kingdom. Even then, there's a whole debate on whether it actually hurts or does help. So my opinion at the end of the day is British people, they're not one of you. I mean, come on, you will never be a part of that family. And even if somehow you manage to be a part of that family, they'll destroy you the way they did it to Diana and to Meghan interesting
1: we have a uk person on here that's just funny i just wanted to point that out travers uh you're not very nice travers and i know he's a uk person anyway go on i'm
0: sorry i was laughing at those comments too travers it's naughty but it's funny too but,
1: but i but he's over there that's what i think oh. is, is what's funny about that is that he's not american well, you My
2: know I, I speaking about trevor's comment like i don't know if you guys had the chance to see the animated show the prince on hbo which was basically just uh it trashed the royals um but uh camille the joke was that camilla was a horse basically and was <laughs> yeah, treated like a horse and given her sugar cubes and like you know
1: it's quite unfortunate I kind of feel bad for her a little bit only because it's like everybody views her in the shadow of Diana and that is not any place that anybody would want to be. Whether or not they were, uh, she could have been nice and cute and all that. And she'd still be disliked just based on who she is and that portrayal of her. And so sometimes I kind of, I feel a little bad. She seems to genuinely like the family and the grandchildren and everything, you know?
2: I I, I don't know. Yeah. We have to remember We're, that they're all just humans, you know, in the end.
0: And I think that's what we have to accept, that the royal family, at the end of the day, they're not the gods that we've always been told they are. They're not these people directly ordained. God himself put them here just to lead. They're people just like you and like me. So... Ultimately, it is the decision of the British people. I think that they should do a full audit, see what is the British monarchy providing you and what is it taking from you and make your decision based off of that. I will say right now, even though um, the majority of the British public is on the side of abolishing the monarchy, I don't think that will ever happen Charles will almost likely, almost definitely, be the last king of Jamaica, be the last king of Belize, the Bahamas, of St. Kitts and Navis. but will he be the last king of the United Kingdom? Absolutely not.
1: Yeah, well, and I also think William is popular.
2: Uh, I think that he's popular, but I also think that his popularity has been affected a bit by uh, Harry. And what's been going on with Harry and Meghan? I also want to just make a comment about Australia uh, and Canada. Uh, There is uh, definitely a strong Republican movement, particularly in Australia right now. So I think it's a big question as to how uh, how far the Commonwealth, um, you know, and the head as you know these members having the head of state be the monarch is going to continue. Um, And I and I do agree um, with you, Braden. I do think that this is probably not the final. Uh, monarch of the UK, but it's probably, I, I would hate to be wrong, because I don't want to conjecture too far in the future, but I do think that William might be the last.
1: I could see that. I could see that and, and maybe it'll save Prince Georgie from a lifetime of just that. Yeah. Because I don't think it looks like anything remotely enjoyable to me. When I was watching that show, And I think it's fairly realistic in terms of the amount of duty that's involved in in their lives. And I just like, that's not a life. I I, I would never wish that on anybody. They're, they're essentially prisoners in a very high end
2: prison. And you you can already tell that George has been given the memo. Like you can tell just by his behaviors, he's been, he has been informed under no uncertain terms, like, what his future is going to be. You can see it in his behavior and
1: you can see it already. Yeah. I feel bad about like, to me, that's, that's not an enjoyable. It's, it's, you're really a very fancy prisoner. I think, I think that, and I think that it was made very clear by Diana, what that felt like, like for more of a regular person. And then, you know, obviously we see Megan was just like, yeah, I'm not having it, but I, I don't know that it's going to be enough, um, for, the, for them to want to keep it going when we know what we know about how this is affecting people. I don't know that somebody like, you know, Kate Middleton is going to really be psyched about tolerating this.
0: That brought me back to a really good point that I heard earlier. So thank you so much for reminding me. Is that if you are a member of the royal family nowadays, not historically, but today, you're basically a glorified member of a circus you put on your little costume and you go from town to town and you give your little speech, shake a few hands, and you never stop. You're just a glorified performer at the end of the day, except unlike some small little circus performer, you are never off stage. Your whole stage is your life.
1: Yeah. And I know it's hard for people to have any sort of sympathy for people that live so lavishly and wealthily and and like who have it so well. So it's sort of like this cognitive disconnect between on the one hand, why in the world would you feel sorry for like the richest people that there are there? But then on the other hand, I see that they don't seem to be very happy. They, they, they seem to have a lot of misery and unmalcontent in their lives. They don't seem to be happy to me, just observation.
0: Mallory, do you have any final thoughts?
2: Uh um, I guess my final thought would be a bit of a lamentation. Um I I regret that the monarchy, uh at least in the United Kingdom, uh can't really uh live up to its mm-hmm. highest purpose because of the media influence and the Royal Rota and how the media and the tabloids contr- seem to control the royal family and, and their goings on. Um I that's, it's sad and it 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 sort of defeats the purpose of having a a monarch as head of state. But um, but I, I, again, I just want I want to underline that these are these are people, and I think it's impossible for people of conscience not to have sympathy for someone who is obviously unhappy, who's struggling, and, and let's not forget. The, the travails of these individuals are constantly thrown in our faces. So that oh, yeah. We're, uh, we're going to have to, we're, we're forced to have an opinion one way or the other. Um those are my thoughts. And um, I'm really, really grateful to have been invited to, to share a little bit um, with you guys tonight and talk about the monarchy.
1: No, well, we talked Thank about you God. being a nice recurring guest. So it works out <laughs> nicely. And I know that this is a good subject. For, I generally I'll know when it's good subjects for you. will Like, oh, she would dig this, whatever <laughs> it, it is. Um, so I don't know that we have a plan exactly for next week. So do you have anything you want to wrap up, Brayden?
0: Um, I just want to say special thanks to Mallory for joining us as oh our God. guest this week. Yeah. We love her. Jen, earlier you said that you're not Gen Z. Well, I officially give you Gen Z status. Oh, deserve that's,
1: so it. that's so sweet. I, I live to mentor because this is not something I want to do forever and someone has to do this stuff. So <laughs> with that, guys, we will be back next week with something interesting. Not sure exactly what, but thanks for tuning in.
0: And if you live in the UK and you just want a fresh start, hit me up. I will gladly take over for you and I will be your king. <laughs> just keep it in the back of your minds. All
1: right, guys, when they I'll have an elected monarchy, remember, we'll have Braden be king.